Our scripture for today is from Genesis 3, verses 8 to 24. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked, and I hid myself, he said. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The woman said, I will surely multiply, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, <clears throat> thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. <clears throat> the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim, cherubim, a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. 
this is the word of the Lord. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Amos. Uh, Man, if you eat of the fruit from that one tree, you will die. The serpent tempted them to not trust the words of God. The serpent got them to distrust God's very words, distrust God's heart for them, and distrust God's way of where things would go from their disobedience. And we ended last week with Adam and Eve feeling shame. Shame from the realization that they were naked and making makeshift clothes, making them in a hurry to cover themselves of their shame. And what we're going to see this morning in this passage is where do we go from here? What happens from this first sin, this first act of disobedience, this first, and it's an, really an action, it's a verb, it's an action away from God's will. Where does God go with this? And we're in Genesis 3, verse 8. Um, I'll read some of these again. They heard the sound, you know, part of my prayer in narrative, even when I go to read a narrative portion of Scripture, you know, there's poetry, the book of Psalms. This is narrative, telling us a story, characters, setting, place. And incidentally enough, um, they've done studies of psychology or a wherever that study would take place, but study that um, narrative is one of the most memorable things for a human, right? It's like y- you, you might not remember a conversation you had with somebody, but you'll remember the plot of this movie for the rest of your life um, it, because it's narrative. It's meant to, to take root inside of us. And so, so as we go in this narrative that God would actually give us kind of the ability to enter the narrative, So they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he asked, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I mean, I I see them like, you still can't, hey, I heard you, you know, walking. Um, And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I command you not to eat? The man said, he um, doesn't say what he should have said, but he says, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So they have directly disobeyed God. With the guilt and the shame that they feel from their sin, they hear God walking towards them. So just to to receive this moment, okay? So we know God, God has taught us that he is Trinity. God is one God who exists as three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, There is zero evidence in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is ever taking on a body-like form. You know, there's no evidence in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is walking next to somebody or anything like that, okay? So very, it, it's, 
it's best to understand that, that this is certainly not the Holy Spirit, that where God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Other scripture says no one has ever seen the Father with their eyes. No one this side of glory has ever seen the Father with their eyes. Okay? Um, so, I believe, and I think it is, it is something we should all believe, is that this is the, what is known as the pre-incarnate Christ. So, Jesus came at Christmas time, but he didn't begin at Christmas time. Jesus is eternal. If you got in a time machine and said, take me to the beginning of Jesus, you would never arrive anywhere. He's eternal. He has no beginning. And so, um, so he is actively involved. John 1 tells us that in creation, nothing was created apart from the hand of Jesus, second person of the Trinity. Did God create everything? Yes, among the persons of the Trinity who has been directed to, to being the one who created earth, it would be the second person of the Trinity, the Son, doing his Father's will by the power of the Holy Spirit, a Trinitarian um, effort our God created. So what is, is enough just to be like, okay, let's chew on this for the rest of the week, is the reality that what appears scripture is telling us is on the heels of humans doubting God, humans not listening to the life-giving, powerful words of God, Jesus gets up, even to Adam and Eve, and walks towards them. I mean, that is powerful, that even, that in the heart of Jesus from the get-go has been actually moving towards people in their sin. So Jesus walks towards them even as they hide. He knows what they've done. He's not like, hey, where are you? I don't know. He knows, but he's putting the ball in their court. Hey, where are you? We usually are interacting with each other in very different ways. You're usually not hiding so the questions is way more than just a location question. And they confess, we're hiding from you. We are afraid and we are naked. So Adam, as Jesus gets, Adam confesses, but he blames Eve in his confession. It's, it's not a good move. Eve does something that is harder and is hard for me. I, I, would, I would expect it's hard for you too, is that Eve confesses without immediately trying to excuse her behavior. She confesses without shifting. She just owns, the serpent deceived me, I ate. I have sinned, I confess my sin, God, the ball is in your court. And there are going to be three words um, that aren't 
so it's not laid out in scripture this way, but I think it, it's, it's been helpful for me this week as I've, uh, Cody at one time, we were sitting next to each other next, at a basketball game. He was like, hey, what are you preaching on? And I, had, I just said these three words. <laughs> and I was like, boom, 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 you know, uh, because I had been chewing on them uh, during the week. And the, the, I'm just going to give you the three words right away that I, that I think are impactful for what we see in God's interaction with Adam and Eve, God's interaction with Satan, with the serpent, um, and things that I think are point to God's interaction with us. And those three, and, and it kind of, you can, knowing them, you can kind of look for them as we, as we progress through this passage. But it's confess, curse, and clothe. Confess, curse, and clothe. So first, confess. Man, everything in my flesh, everything in your flesh, I would assume, resist this. It's one of the reasons on Sunday morning we actually have a confession time. And uh, for at least 10, 11 years, I've been pastoring church here and elsewhere that had a weekly confession time. And, and frequently, I hear people say, I hate that. <laughs> I don't think we, some of those words don't, like, I feel like you're putting guilt in my mouth that isn't my guilt. And I feel like you're um, you know, like, like, you know, you're, you're taking me to a place that might not be true of me. And I, my just, and I'm like, I think you're very, that's very possible. But I also say, confession is hard for all of us. And, uh, and confessing our sins is, is one of the last things I think about, like, putting on my to-do list for the day. Um, and it is good for our souls to confess our sin. Or even the sin of our community. You know, we see that in Job. Job spends time confessing sins that his kids may be committing and he doesn't even know, but he's just bringing them to God. Um, and so, and not want to get into the theology of that. But, um, but just the culture of confessing is, is hard. And we're not going to like, I don't know of any like New York Times bestseller books that are like advocating confessing to people. You know, it, it's more going to direct you somewhere else. But if we, and as we, as we hear God correctly, as we desire to follow God's ways, as we desire to embrace and trust God's heart for us, as we embrace and trust God's good ways for that, our life will be full of seeing ways that our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our life will be full of recognizing that our actions are not his actions. Sorry. Okay. That our inactions were against his invitation to action. And he graciously seeks us out. He counsels us. And our appropriate response is confession. Um, this can be as ordinary and probably frequent that should be in each of our houses um, that are houses with children as sitting the kids down and saying, guys, I, I don't even know why I did this. I don't know where this is coming from in my life. I'm desiring God to make me more like Jesus in this area, but I just lost my temper with you guys. I spoke to you, I raised my voice. I spoke to you in a way that I shouldn't have spoken to you, and God has convicted me of that, and I've confessed that sin to God, and I want to confess it to you. Will you forgive me? 
And some of you might be like, oh man, I do that every day. Some of you are like, I would give anything to have heard that one time when I was growing up. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for that. I really am. Um, and I don't want my kids to say that. And so I'm not saying that's, this, this is a big thing in our hearts, right? And, uh, and to recognize, though, that like the, the health of confession and the health of Jesus seeking out Adam and Eve, seeking out their confession. He, he wasn't needing to be informed of what they did. He was wanting to lead them into confession and repentance. And confession can also be as earth-shaking as that first time in your life that you, that you come before God and you say, all of the rebellion I have had against you in my life, past, present, and future, I confess to you, I repent of, would you forgive me? And that is called salvation, that moment. It is that freeing. It is that life-changing. Adam and Eve confess. Then God does something that I think is right, true, and just. I think that we would say, like, you should be like, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, no harm. No, no he, he very clear. Remember, this is a God whose words create worlds. And he has spoken on what would happen when they do this. And so he justly receives their confession, moving towards them, and then curses them. You say, well, that's harsh words. Well, these are harsh actions. Verse 14, he starts by cursing Satan. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, remember, angels were created to serve humans towards God and worship God with their lives forever. That was their created design. And Satan just took that created design and marred it so ugly that he did everything against both of those designs. And he says, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And remember, like, Lucifer the angel was not, like, always in the form of a snake. But we, we talked, I think, last week about how um, many of the gods of this time period were seen as a snake. And we even, if you fast forward to Moses, salvation was a snake on a cross. And if you look at the snake on the cross, killed on the cross you would have life. That's in the book of Exodus, the next book after this, and that is what Jesus is doing on the cross, defeating the snake on the cross, and if you look to him, you have life. So uh, a little preview of coming attractions there. But So here he says, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity... War. I will put war between you and the woman, and between your offspring, demons, and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So God is serious about his word. They're not mere suggestions. And here, these are word-for-word curses of what will be from what has happened. And you could... Curse might be like, well, that, um, you could even say it as like the sentence of a just Supreme Court. 
So between Satan and between those fallen demons and the offspring of the woman, which is all humans, there will be war. Persists till today. And remember, Satan is cursed because of our battle against him. They will resist you. They will flee from you. They will push back darkness. They will pray against you. You are, you are sentenced that they will war against you. Um, and then one will come from the woman and one will be born one day who will take a headshot at Satan. And Satan will work putting Jesus on the cross. That is what verse 15 has been seen to, uh, to he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel, is seen as, as that moment. So realize this. This is the curse part, right? So even in God seeking their confession, he, Jesus is moving towards Adam and Eve, not moving away from them. Coming around them, not moving from them. Even in his curse of Satan, he is promising things for our victory. If anything, my prayer for all of us is we, we capture the heart of God, maybe in a way that we've never captured it before, that our temptations of shame and hiding are his invitations to freedom, stepping into the light, not the darkness. So God curses the serpent. Then, verse 16, he curses the woman. So without spending a lot of time here, it is worth noticing that God deals with the man and the woman differently. He deals with the men and women differently. So even God's approach is seeing difference, differences as two separate sexes. You know, our culture would, is strongly resisting that, and God is making it very clear. There is men and women. Those are clear ways that I see humans, and I have something separate to say to women and separate to say to men. And that in no way is to say, like, if you don't believe that, you aren't welcome here. That is every way to say, like, God, we want your word to disciple us to see our community, and this isn't a place of like, if you don't believe that, get out of here. It's like, if you don't believe that, get in here. <laughs> and, and let's like look to him together, and let's, let's chew on this together. Let's have him form us together. So in verse 16, he says, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband." but he shall rule over you. So there will be a type of pain that women will experience that men don't. And yes, obviously, that's connected to the actual physical pain that a woman experiences in childbearing that a, that a man does not experience in childbearing. But it, it, it seems, though, that more is being said here, that there is just a pain through maternal life-giving that is unique for a woman that a man does not experience to the same degree. And then on top of that, an additional sentence is that there will be a conflicting 
And if you're a guy in this room, don't out loud say, amen. You know, let's, uh, let's be peacemakers in the room, you know. Um, but there will be a conflicting relationship of authority and responsibility between men and women. Now, that in no way, once again, is to like be like, it, that's just going to stink for all of us moving forward. Uh, we're, as we're seeing, like God gives us the way, gives us the life, gives us the truth. But to know that deep in, and even we see that our, this, culture's, this cultural moment is actually showing the conflicting nature of how men and women interact with each other and how we're even supposed to think about that. And there will be conflict there. The design was for no conflict. Since you've eaten, since death has come, since you ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there will be conflict between men and women, and that will happen moving forward. The design is for men and women to complement each other. Men and women are supposed to complement each other in such a beautiful way where our distinctions complementing each other allow each, each man and woman to help the other be all God has made them to be. And with sin, there's a battle there in that place. Then the curse to Adam, verse 17. And man, there are books, there, there's a lot we could spend on each of these. You know, it's like, man, you're going through Genesis in 70-some weeks? You should go faster. Well, when we get into piece by piece, it's like, we're doing this in one week? That's a crime, you know? Uh, but it's, it's Lord willing, he'll show us, man, I need to go deeper into this area. I need to learn more here. I need to let God disciple me here in this area, maybe more intentionally. Verse 17, and to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, into dust you shall return. So there's a unique pain the woman feels, and there's a unique pain that the man feels. His is a work is hard type of pain. As men try to steward the earth, have dominion over nature, there are weeds in the garden. There's hard, frustrating, sweaty work. You know, your best intentions, your be I hear like several farmers in the area, like all the work of harvesting, all the work of getting the crops, all of the sweat and the toil of that, and you get it in the grain bin, and the moisture content for some of, the guy, like, uh, some of those grain bins have spoiled. And it's like, ugh. And doing everything right, this bank account just spoils, basically. You know, and it's frustrating. And it's easy to be like, man, you should have done different. But it's like people who like, are way, way, way better farmers than I would ever be. And it's just frustrating pain of, it shouldn't be this way, but it is. And, um, and this applies to many areas and many things, but the ground brings pain, and then you become part of it. And he was, he was, when God breathed breath into his lungs, 
the plan was for breath to always be in those lungs. And there was just one thing not to do, and they did that thing. And now he will be in the ground when he should be enjoying the ground um, and all that it brings. So God seeks out a confession. God is honest and just. Satan, the woman, and the man are all justly cursed, justly sentenced, you could say. Then the last part of the section, clothed, starts in verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And verse 21 is just, like, it really is significant. It may sound simple. It's a simple pair of clothes, but it's significant about the heart of God. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So, and once again, I see this as being Jesus, and I see Jesus being a craftsman as his profession in the New Testament for probably at least 10 years. That was his profession, and, um, and here he's being a craftsman. Of course, he's ultimate, you know, if we see the, the stars, he's, he's quite the craftsman. Um, but here he's making a simple set of clothing to cover the shame of Adam and Eve, covering their shame by his hand and his love towards them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, which the tree of life we know in the book of Revelation is now in the new garden. In paradise, Jesus speaks of it, in heaven is the tree of life. So, but here it says, Lest he reach out, take out his hand also, eat of the tree of life and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden. God is serious about the repercussions of sin. He takes them out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden and even the cherubim are known as some of the mightiest of angels are sent to guard the entrance so they can't come back and eat of the tree of life and believing that the flood probably is what destroyed all of this that would happen and we'll, we'll be getting to that. Um, Adam and Eve are sent east of Eden. Uh, that's why things are hard, why life feels hard, why the saying that the only things that are dependable in life are death and taxes it's because we're east of Eden right now. And at the same time that we are east of Eden, God clothes us. He seeks our confession. We are justly cursed, sentenced, and he clothes us. And the more that we understand Genesis 3, and, and you might not have thought like, man, I thought that book of Genesis was just like kind of way back there. But the more that we understand the living and active word of Genesis 3, the more we understand God's gracious heart. If my kids, friends, fill in the blank, whatever relationship, if they did the most harmful, hurtful, vindictive, serious, long-lasting thing against me, I'd, I'd have anger, probably rage-type anger. I'd definitely raise my voice. I'd look to punish them for what they've done. And God isn't like that. 
He, he is just. God does not wink at sin. He takes it far more seriously than we do. He can truly say, if I come towards you with, your, with confession, seeking your confession, and you refuse, if I seek to clothe you, and you refuse, if in my moving towards you, you move away from me for a lifetime and never turn and let me come to you freely, you will be in hell. Hell is for people who don't want to be where God is. And he says that with justice, not with vindictive, rageful anger. He says that with compassion in his voice. He says that with an invitation of nail-scarred hands reaching out towards you. An invitation to not let it be that way. In the biggest revolt against him, he seeks us out. He clothes Adam and Eve because he loves them and he doesn't want them to feel shame. So make sure clothed is a part of us. You know, I've just been driving around at times, like driving to Ames and stuff, and just thinking of like, of those three, like confession, curse, clothed. And just, just asking, Lord, like, where is that in my life? Where are you seeking out my confession? Where, where are you inviting my confession? We are told what our invitation is in the New Testament is to put on Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. Put on Christ. So we do that through faith, believing him as our Savior, and we do that at times of confession and repentance. We put on Christ. He clothes us, covers us, covering our sin, our disobedience, our failures. We put on his victory. And would we do that today? What's stopping us from doing that today? Can I pray for us as we let him do that in our lives? Lord, even in the heaviness of Genesis 3, and, and uh, just not to try and have nobody come back next week, but I think next week is far heavier. And, um, but I also feel like it's the foundation for why things are the way they're not supposed to be. Why I hate funerals. It's not supposed to be that way. Why we feel like it's not the way it's supposed to be. Why we yearn for more. And thank you that you are revealing to us. You, you, it was so important for those who are coming out of slavery in Egypt to know the, the backstory, to know your heart, to know that the way that the Egyptians were brainwashing them was not reality. And Lord, would you let us see reality so clearly that we don't just understand our sin, which we need to, and how it separates us from you, but we actually see you and how you are moving towards us. You're not minimizing anything, but you are rescuing us. You're the only one who's powerful enough to actually undo all of this and make it right and restore things that, that felt like they could never be restored. Renew things that felt like they could never be renewed. So Lord, would each one of us move towards you? 
would each one of us put on you this morning? And would you show us just what that looks like? We're so needy. I feel so needy. I'm not smart enough to just figure all this out. I need you to walk me through it. Walk me through what this looks like in my life. And so, Lord, would you walk each of us through what this looks like in our lives? Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, his, we, most, most Sundays, we take communion. Um, he said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me, do this for me. And what this is, is just a way. It's, we were communing with him. Uh, we, we can commune with him in the car. He is present. Um, and this is a special way that he's given family to commune with him together, is to come to the table together. Um, a, a lot of followers of Jesus throughout history have seen that this is actually a unique time where it feels like we're brought up into heaven. And you can even like let yourself go there of being brought up into heaven in this moment. Communing with him can be an intimate way. Um, um, we had uh, Re- Rebecca Emgarten was even serving communion, and the Lord gave her a really special gift in that moment, I think, of, of just, just seeing heavenly sights while, while we were having communion even last Sunday. So it's okay to go there and uh, to, to let the Lord commune with us, come to us in the ways that we feel like he's coming to us. And so um, we come down the center aisle, the greens will serve you the bread and just hold your hand out and take wine or juice, obey your conscience there. Um, and so let's spend some moments with him and then um, take the elements and remain standing and then we'll take it together as family. Let's come to him.